0: My name is Dick Grout, and I am the worship Director here, among other hats, but that 's the main one they call me by and it 's good to be here. Dr. A is normally up here. You notice probably with your insightful abilities that that guy is different on several levels than dr a, but we 're good friends it's just and he 's not playing hooky, just to let you know he 's at a meeting and he sends his love and He would love to be here, but it wasn't possible. He's working on, like I am, being in two places at the same time, but I haven't quite mastered that yet. It's good to be with you. The Lord is good, and he's excellent, and he's great. By the way, um, Hugh Smith, would you wave your hand, Hugh Smith? Hugh's going to be up in the dining hall. There he is right over here. Hugh Smith. Just to give you one piece of historical trivia, Hugh was the academic dean here at Elam. He's the one who hired me. come back in the late 80s so just you got to appreciate this man right here he's a blessing friend of mine indeed so he'll be up in the dining hall he's with voice of the martyrs he's got some as i understand some free type freebie material to um to share so by all means stop at his table that will be good is donna up there as well all right she's getting ready that's fantastic by the way, I'm a fairly recent um, member of the, the glasses-wearing society most of my life. Um, I have not been, so it's very easy for me to, like, I just kind of reach for something and I smudge, and then you got to have that certain cloth, because tissue doesn't work. It leaves, you know, like a snowstorm, and then I, I can't use my shirt because it's uncouth, and so I, I didn't bring this special cloth, but I can basically see most of you, so... <laughs> I want to tell you about something today. It's close to my heart. And it's called servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now, let me ask you a question, because I think some of you could probably answer this. Do you know why Starbucks is so successful? Not a trick question. They make great coffee. They're muffins. What else? what else? Come on, just call it out. What is it you like about Starbucks? Who is it? Oh, okay, here's one. I don't drink coffee myself, believe it or not. If if I drank it, it would stump my growth. We can't have that happening. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for the amen. It's not just the coffee. It's not just the muffins. It's more than lots of places can do that. But what I've understood, if you look closely, the reason for the success of Starbucks is because the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. In fact, he was the CEO until September 1st when he stepped down. Somebody else took his place, but I can't pronounce his name. And I know that Howard Schultz was the one who implemented a style of leadership in the Starbucks corporation known as servant leadership. Interesting. And not only Starbucks, several major companies today are getting on board, currently discovering that Servant leadership is a valid, viable, and workable model for leadership. And you're wondering, why did I bring up Starbucks, number one, and number two? Why am I telling you about servant leadership? That's the question. I'm giving you that. Now I'm going to provide the answer because I'm just a nice guy. Here's the reason. Because Elam has a mission statement. I'm putting the mic back in. Stand. We have a mission statement. And we're going to put it up on the slide in just a moment. And right in the middle of our mission statement as a college are two words. Servant leadership. Servant leaders. I'm going to pull this. And I get to proudly wear the guitar strap flag of the Ecuadorian lovers among us, known as Gabe and Emily Cepeda. He let me use his guitar. Now I'm going to sing you... You need to think reggae. I'm lacking the dreads, but you need to kind of get a feel for that. So I'm going to teach you our mission statement. We got it. There it is, okay? Now, if, if you know it without this song, that's fine. I'm just going to give this to you like this.
1: Fun so far, huh? It goes like this. The mission of Helam Bible Institute and College is to prepare Christ-centered, spirit-empowered servant leaders for global ministry and worldwide revival. Ah, ah, ah. The mission of Elam. to prepare christ-centered spirit empowered servant leaders for global ministry and worldwide revival once you stand to your feet and sing it with me now this is what we're about here we go the mission of elam bible institute and college is to Prepare Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered servant leaders for global ministry and worldwide revival. gotta sing it again now because we can. Here we go. One, two, three. The mission of Elam Bible Institute and College is to prepare Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered servant leaders for global ministry and worldwide revival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you do so well. You can give yourself a hand and have a seat. Gabe, oh.
0: okay, that was fun. Thanks for the guitar. That was great. Kind of like a self-contained little, got the amp on there and everything just kind of go around. and I could wander, no, I won't do that. The mission of Elam Bible Institute and College is to prepare. This is why we're here. Christ-centered, spirit-empowered. But that's the if you were to do the diagram, the English grammar diagram of the sentence, servant leaders sits right in the middle of it. Every other word around it describes what it's about. They're not just servant leaders. They're Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, servant leaders, and then we're going to find out what they do, and then they go global ministry and worldwide revival, etc. Now, like Starbucks, the center of our mission statement is right around that concept. The difference is, here's where we perhaps vary from Starbucks, is that we're raising up not just servant leaders, but centered on Jesus Empowered or empowered, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and then those who are willing to let God send them anywhere for global ministry and worldwide revival. You got to realize this if you're here at all, the mission statement basically sits, doesn't it, sister? It sits basically on top. It's the top of the pile, the top of the heap around here. And everything we do after that comes out of that statement that you just sang, you just read. Beneath it are the institutional objectives of this college. Beneath those are the program objectives for the different programs that we offer. And beneath those, am I getting this right, are the course objectives. Ooh, you get thumbs up from Mr. Nuda, you know you've done something well. Beneath those are the course objectives. In other words, this, guys, it applies to you. Every single course you take, Every single area that you're involved in academically, in one way or another, is connected to our mission statement and is a dimension of the training that you're receiving here for the purpose of instilling in you and installing in you, I like that too, both the art and the heart of servant leadership. Kind of boils the whole college experience here down to just like, servant Leadership, and then everything else blossoms out of that, the genius of that nugget. This is why Elam is up on this hill. We've been doing this for how long? Almost, almost 100 years. We're coming up on it before you know it. We've been here making servant leaders. As a matter of fact, this is really one of the things, if not one of the highest things, that attracted me to Elam when I came here as a student back before there was dirt, I came, sorry, I came back in 1977. I, came, I got out of the Navy, came up here, checked it out, liked it, felt like it was home for me. This is one of the things that stood out to me, was that there were servant leaders. They were, they were being built and created here. Something I've also learned over the years about Elam graduates... And this is something that is a a hallmark, if you will, of Elam, is that they often leave here and join other denominations, not just Elam churches. And that's intentional because God calls people sometimes not just to spread the name of Elam, but actually those graduates, and I know several of them personally, is that they join together with the vision of that local church. Because we're not here to build the kingdom of Elam, we're here to build the kingdom of God. Whatever flavor and shape, and believe me, the kingdom of God is very diverse. So thank God for the flexibility built into our servant leaders who can go out from this place and serve. In fact, there was a a group that I named it Servant, not knowing that I would be here today talking about this, but years and years ago, in fact, we had just arrived here. We came in 89 back in the faculty. By 1990, I had created a student um, traveling group, ministry group. And we called it Servant because that really, again, was the reflection of, of my heart of what Elam was. And, um, and for the first 13 years that I was here on the faculty until my kids, our kids became teenagers and had to spend a little more time at home. But for the first 13 years that I was here, the goal of that music group called Servant was to serve and support the vision of the local church. So we would go and we would, of course, lead the worship and preach if they wanted it on Sunday morning. But we would also do stuff like raking leaves and working construction and do prayer walks and provide seminars and youth rallies and really whatever the church needed and wanted, whatever place they were at, we would come up alongside and help them. We were actively forming servant leaders. It's been the heart of this college for a long time. Now, in some places today... The concept of being a servant or the concept of servant leadership is not really understood. In some circles, it's not popular to be a servant. Some believers feel it's rather insulting, a little beneath their their dignity. They they want to be winners. They want to be friends of God. They want to be sons of God, not really servants of God, because that's just so Old Testament-ish. Jesus did say, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I like that. We like that. That makes that blesses me, that appeals to me. And it's true, we are his friends. We really are his friends. It's incredible to imagine that, but there's more to it than the simplicity of that one verse. What I want to do is share with you actually to ask this question, and then I'll ask it and then I'll answer it because I do have the answer. Are we servants or are we sons? I mean, which is it? And the answer is, drum roll, what is the answer? Are we servants or are we sons? Oh, you've been reading my notes, haven't you? You've been peeking over my shoulder. Yes, yes, we are, and that's the point, is that there is both, both concepts, servants of God and sons of God, and by the way, when I say sons, ladies, please I'm speaking of you as well, daughters, all right, because us guys have to work our, our way into the bride of Christ, so it's only fair that we kind of go back and forth. <laughs> so we're sons of God, yet we're servants of God, and these concepts are common throughout the pages of the New Testament. Now, as sons of God, I like that one, all right, we, it's important to know our position, the favor that we enjoy, the fullness of God's spirit, but we also need to realize, my friends, that we're also servants of of God. I refer you to two apostles you may have heard of before, Paul and Peter. A couple of the big shots in the New Testament, okay? When Paul writes to the writes the book of Titus, first chapter, first verse, Paul opens up the book with this: Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Peter, when he writes his second book before he passed on after this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There appears to be room, and you can do this study on your own, there appears to be room in the theology of the New Testament, both for sonship and to be a servant of the living God as well. Oswald Chambers says, The passion of Christianity is that I deliberately sign away my own rights and become a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Then he says this statement, it'll curl your socks if you're not ready for this. We exist, he says, for nothing else. We exist for nothing else but for God to help himself to our lives. So we are both sons and servants. Because... Really, as in anything, really, as anything in life, there's always going to be a balance, isn't there? And the error comes when we lean to one side and forget about the fact that there is balance. We have to find the balance in the middle. Listen to these two statements. If we embrace the reality of servanthood without the revelation of sonship, we can end up with a slave mentality. But if we embrace the reality of sonship, Without the revelation of servanthood, we can end up with a spoiled mentality. We're not slaves. We're not being forced to do things against our will, but we're also not to be spoiled, focusing only on ourselves and what I want, and not serving God and not serving other people. Have you been able to connect into the joy of hearing the Father speak to you personally and say, You As he said of his son, Jesus, on the earth, you are my beloved son or daughter. In you I am well pleased. But as sons and as daughters, he calls us then to walk out our life, to live out our life in such a way that we can then hope to and trust that we will one day also hear the Father say to us, not just that you're my beloved son or daughter, but he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Both come from the mouth of God. Both come to our hearts. And both, if they're accepted and understood theologically, will give us a balance that we really, really need. We are servants rooted in our identity as sons, and we are sons who carry in our heart the heart of a servant. That's how Jesus lived. If you study his life, you'll understand that. And that's what it really means to be a Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered servant leader. Now, servant leadership, there's another fairly contemporary term in the business world. It's called level five leadership. All right? And it's kind of a radical thought, but actually servant leadership as such is is old. But this concept is quite different. And it's the philosophy of leadership that's built on the premise that the most effective leaders strive to serve others. Servant leaders relinquish the authoritarian style which requires leaders to have total decision-making power and absolute control over their subordinates or their employees. And the result is, now check this out, when employees feel appreciated by their superiors. They feel like leaders are serving their needs and not just the other way around. They engage in their work with a different attitude than someone who feels like they're just being used And unappreciated. I'm giving you, and I'm going to give you in the next little bit of time, some very practical help to understand what this thing that's buried in the middle of our mission statement and the genius of of those who put it there, what this actually means and means for us. I read an article recently by a journalist who attended a two-day meeting with this major company, a planning session, and they were basically there to establish vision for the company For the next year. As the executive team got together, there were there were issues, there were disagreements over issues, but so that there was tension in the room, and there was disagreement in the room. But yet, somehow, in the course of two days, the clarity of vision that was needed was reached. And the journalist walked away from those two days and really was wondering. I just saw tension, but then I saw it leave, I saw it dissolve. I don't know how it did it. And he began to meditate on those two days with this executive team. And he realized and it began to dawn on him, the CEO of that company, there was something about his leadership style that was different, but it was very effective. And then he realized, as he just kind of replayed those two days back in his mind, it was that man and his leadership style that made it work. It ironed out. What did he do? I'll bet you want to know that. Well, I'm about to tell you. He met, the CEO met every disagreement, potential battle, with a genuine sense of compassion for people. Now realize that compassion and passion are not the same thing. A lot of leaders have passion to lead, but they do not have a compassion for people. It's important to realize this man did. He demonstrated extreme patience, a true regard for the differing perspectives that were being voiced. He never got close to being exasperated or frustrated. He had a humble manner, a quiet manner, a gentle spirit, but it was coupled with an intense, genuine desire to build a great company. That combination is powerful, and that's a hallmark, and I want you to hear this, It's a hallmark of a servant leader. By their unselfish perspective, they have a great respect for people, but they also, along with respect for people, compassion for people, they also have a relentless focus on success and victory and achieving results. When there's success in a company, for example, or in a church, if there's a servant leader in charge, in humility he'll give the glory to others. And when there's failure, he goes to the mirror first and looks and says, what did I do wrong? Instead of finding the first person he can to blame for the problem. Now, if you put those leadership qualities together with a gentle spirit, you get an individual who is completely secure enough in their own skin to be a supporting role for others as a servant leader. It's a powerful method. We need to look at this carefully again because servant leadership is buried at the heart of this college and the mission statement of this college, and that is no small matter. We have a a policy around here that Danuta has been helping us to understand that if it's something that is in print that says we do it, then we need to do it. I'm here to say we have a mission statement. It sits at the top of the pile of everything that we do, everything that we are, and we need to look at that and say, are we actually doing that? A servant leader aspires to be a servant first. And the only way that you can be a servant first is if you come with a genuine desire to serve people. It's got to start with something deep down on the inside. There is a church in Chicago area. I was there. Margie and I were there. Got married and went out there for five years, the first five years in the ministry. And I was fascinated, basically floored, by how they choose their leadership In this church. Because again, a servant starts with a desire to serve people. That mindset, by the way, sets you dramatically apart from somebody who just aspires to be a leader. Because sometimes the aspirations we have to be a leader can come from a motive in our heart that says, I just want to control. I want want the power. I want the power. I got the power. I want that. But if you really have initially and primarily a desire to serve people as Jesus served people, you've opened a way. God's opened a way for you to come. So this church in Chicago, the people in the church, the congregation would just keep their eyes open over the course of time, and when they noticed somebody was holding the door for somebody else or somebody was maybe helping to set up before the service or helping to tear down after the service or somebody was maybe seeing there's a little piece of paper and they would pick it up. Not, I didn't put that there. That's not mine. They just went over, and, and what what they had a box out in the foyer of the church, and when somebody had, um, when one of the congregations saw that, they would write the name down and drop it in the box. When an opening came on the deacon board, when it was trying to choose another deacon for the church, they would go to the box, and they would look in the box of servants. And when it, and when there was an opening on the elder board, who kind of sit above them in the hierarchy. They would go to the deacons, and they would look at the deacons and say, who has the servant's heart? And they would create, this is a church in Chicago that I know of, they would create a method of servant leadership by finding servants and beginning with them. It's powerful. By the way, a good gauge to know if if you have a servant's heart or not is this. How do you feel when you're treated like one? How do you feel when somebody tells you, doesn't ask you, just tells you to do something. Not really a good attitude, all right? You do it, and they complain about it, and they don't thank you for it at all. How do you feel about that? Does that ever ruffle your feathers like it does mine? And that thing rising up inside like, wait a minute, you got no right to... I'm not saying that what they did was right. I'm just saying that how are you responding what happened? It's really good to know at that time that ultimately the one you're serving is not that person, grateful or not. Colossians three says you're serving the Lord Christ. Keep that in mind. Everything you do. By the way, a good gauge um, or a good test, rather, of whether you, you whether you're becoming a servant leader is this: Are the people that you're leading are they growing? Are they becoming servants to other people themselves? You see a servant leader is a change agent that affects the mood and the ambiance if you will of where they are. They bring the atmosphere of the kingdom of God wherever they go. Let me ask you frankly when you go to when you go home you're going to go home in a few weeks on break perhaps most of you some of you or you go to your dorm what kind of an influence do you have when you're in that dorm? Is the atmosphere better because you're there? Are the people there, the other students there, more likely to be serving each other, encouraging each other, honoring each other, preferring one another above themselves, building up each other, giving up their rights, laying down their lives because you're there? What kind of an influence are you adopting? Are you learning? Are you exercising now at this time in your life? It doesn't mean that a servant leader only walks around, cleans bathroom floors and and mops and whatever. We need to... Expand the concept of what a servant is and what a servant looks like. Because servant attitudes, or I'm sorry, servant leadership is not the initial issue. It's not a matter of actions, it's a matter of attitudes. The whole concept, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered servant leaders, servant leaders, they grow in the atmosphere of not so much trying to trying to bring in certain actions. Let's get to the heart. Let's start with the attitude. We need the attitude of a servant. When that's there, it will work. For example, if the CEO of a major company walks onto the production floor, it should be as if, as if he was coming to wash the feet of his workers. That should be his attitude coming out there. If a gas station attendant should clean the restroom floors of the gas station. It should be as if as if he was there to wash the customer's feet. That should be his attitude. Now, in reality, both the CEO and the gas station attendant can undoubtedly serve their people better through other activities than just washing their feet. But they need to view themselves as servants of others and have the attitude or the mindset that is truly willing to serve others in the same way that Jesus did, that is the heart of servant leadership. It's not an issue initially of actions and what I do, what my job description is. It's where is my heart? Philippians 2, familiar words. Let me give it to you again. In your relationship with one another, have the same Mindset or think in the same way as Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. He was equal with God, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be held on to for advantage. Wow. He gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. Watch this last one. He was born as a man and became as a servant. At one point during the 16th century Reformation in Europe, two of the reformers, Ulrich Zwingli, I love that, and Martin Luther, Zwingli and Luther had a disagreement over a certain theological issue. And Zwingli wasn't sure what to do, but he found his answer one morning on the side of a Swiss mountain. There were two mountain goats. And they were traveling on the same narrow path but from opposite directions. One goat was coming down the mountain and one goat was coming up. And at one point, the narrow trail prevented them from passing one another. And the two goats, they saw each other. Hmm. Wasn't room for both. And when they saw each other, they backed up. Each backed up. And they lower their head. And you know what goats like to do. And it to all appearances, it's like they're just going to rip into each other and winner takes all and goes on his way. But what happened was this. And it was a surprise. In fact, Zwingli said it was a wonderful thing. Rather than charging and attacking, the goat that was going up the mountain laid down. He laid down in the path. And the other goat walked over his back and went on his way down. And the other one got up and went up. And Zwingli realized at that moment that God had provided the answer to his predicament. He was to humble himself. He was to lower himself and let Martin Luther have his way. And he did. that, my friends, is the heart of servant leadership. Let me take just a minute and talk to you about John 13, because you want to see an example of servant leadership. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God, he would return to God. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Luke brings in this thought that during the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22, during the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples in the context of that meal that one of them would be betraying him. Interesting um, thread of of dialogue here with with Luke's gospel. It says they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Like You can just imagine what's going on. But the very next verse, it says, their discussion turned into an argument, and it says the very next verse, there arose among them a dispute as to which one of them was to be considered the greatest. Guys, (laughs) this is the Last Supper. This is the sacred holy moment that your, your beloved master, before he returns, goes to the cross and resurrected and whatnot, he's telling you that one of you is going to betray him, and you're fighting among yourselves. Almost like accusing each other or whatever, but which one of you is the the greatest? By the word, by the way, this is a fun word study. The word for dispute, they had a dispute among themselves. The word dispute in the Greek means a love of strife. It means an eagerness to contend with others, like I won't even go there. But let's just say that there are some people, not in this college, of course, that really seem to like get like energized. By confrontation. Okay, I'll leave it alone. Now, what's interesting is that if you study scripture, you'll discover that this argument which they had about who was going to be the greatest didn't begin at the Last Supper. There was an ongoing, irksome little something between them, and they kept kind of comparing who's going to be the greatest. But unfortunately, it came up now at a time that it really wasn't good for it to come up. They're disputing about who is the greatest. I can only imagine. I wasn't there, obviously, but I can only imagine what that looked like. I doubt they had an interest in washing each other's feet. Like, I am going to wash his feet. He should be washing mine. Can, can, you, can you just plug in the humanity, the human aspect here? If there were some real feelings going on. None of now, there were, any of them would have loved to have washed Jesus' feet. I'd love to wash his feet. I don't want to wash yours. Get but Jesus, I would love to wash your feet. But see, it was an awkward, because they were kind of in a little table there and reclining around the table, and they couldn't really wash Jesus' feet without making themselves available to wash the other's feet. And that would have been an intolerable admission of inferiority among their fellow competitors for the top position in the disciples' hierarchy. So we just kind of... Pfft. Nobody's feet got washed that day when they should have been washed. You see, in Eastern culture... It was the job of the lowest servant in the household to wash the feet of the guests as they came into the house before they reclined at the table to eat. And we don't know what happened that day, but the room that was provided for Jesus and his disciples there apparently wasn't a lowest servant to do the job. So when they came up, they showed up, and they got into the... And they ended up eating the Passover meal, which was actually a formal meal, a formal banquet meal, and they ate it with dirty feet. Wow. So during the meal, Jesus gets up, does what was completely countercultural and absolutely unthinkable to his disciples. He, the master, knelt down and began to wash his disciples' feet. That was undoubtedly the greatest example of servant leadership this planet has ever seen. And Jesus begins to deal with the contention that was present there. And he says... It's going to have to be different with you guys. Let the greatest among you be as the least. Let the leader be a true servant and the one who cares for others. And let me take it one step deeper because not only was this the incredible uh, moment in time when the Son of God, the holy, divine Son of God himself was unrobing himself, putting on the garb of a servant and washing his disciples' filthy feet, this actually, and the theologian F.F. F. Bruce says this, this actually was a sacred revelation of the nature of the Father himself. You see, Jesus had, was about to tell us in the next chapter, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So watch what I do, because when you watch what I do, you'll learn something about the nature of the God that you can't see. The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. Oh my goodness. The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. In the washing of their feet, the disciples, they didn't get it at the time. But they saw a rare unfolding of the authority and the glory of the incarnate word. And they also saw They also saw a rare declaration of the character of the Father himself. If you've seen me and I'm kneeling here before you and I'm washing your feet, if you've seen me doing this, you're seeing something of the heart and the servant attitude, even of the Father. It's incredible the unveiling of God. The very nature, the very character and nature of God was on display. This is who he is. Jesus didn't just like, well, I'm going to have to do this before I die. I'm going to have to you know, act like a servant. So, you know. This was who he was. It was the unveiling of who he always had been. That's servant leadership. When the Son of God stooped to wash his disciples' feet, the true nature of the Godhead was on display. And then Jesus comes back. Puts his garment back on and says, you saw what I did for you. I want you to turn around and do it for your other, do it for others. And serve them as I have served you. Christian disciples in the 21st century, just like the disciples in the 1st century, would gladly wash the feet of Jesus. If you're here today, Lord, could I have the privilege and get in line? Can I wash your feet today? But Jesus doesn't say for us to do that. He says, I want you to wash the feet of one another. Yeah, but there, you know, and we get into the whole disputing thing again. Well, I'm greater than you. You should be washing mine. You go first. I'll go second if I want to. We had this whole human thing going on. Servant leaders serve others, and in doing so, they empower others. That's what Jesus did in John 13. He served them. He washed their feet, and he says, Now, sit down. I'm going to tell you something. Catch this. As I have done to you, I'm your Lord. I'm your teacher. I'm your master. I did it for you. Now you go and wash their feet as well. By the way, foot washing is more than just actual kneeling before them, remove the shoes, wash, dry, doom, done. Okay. It actually refers to something broader than that. Anything that I can do for someone else that washes away the dirt of the world or the dust of defeat and the dust of discouragement can be considered foot washing. That whether you believe in the actual literal, that's fine or not. But but I can and I should be serving one another in that way. In closing, wouldn't you love to hear that when it's actually twelve o'clock? I believe that all of us here, and I'm talking staff and students alike, are under the direction and the mandate of a mission statement that reminds us that the reason that this college sits up on this hill is to form Christ-centered, spirit-empowered servant leaders for global ministry and worldwide revival. And if in any way or in any measure we have strayed from that model of servant leadership, it's time that all of us return to our roots. This is our primary purpose and calling, and you cannot take this lightly. We need to ensure That the leadership styles that we as the leaders model here and that our graduates embrace and practice when they leave here are marked by the presence of God and by the empowering of his spirit, not simply the wisdom of human leadership concepts. It's who we are. And it's what we've been doing for a long time. Could you put that slide back up again? I want us to stand together we say this as we're leaving, the mission, come on, say it with me, the mission of Elam Bible Institute in college is to prepare Christ-centered, spirit-empowered servant leaders for global ministry and global life. And I'm going to send you out of here singing. One more time, get my electronics in order here. I'm good to go. First of all, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the model that you have been to us, teaching us. Help us, I pray, for the grace of God as we leave here looking for opportunities. And Holy Spirit, would you be so quick to empower us to see opportunities, to see beyond just the norm, and help us to understand what it is that you want us to do in this place to serve as servant leaders. So leaving this place, it will not be something we've never done before or don't understand because we've learned here on the Holy Hill. How to do it. Come on, sing it with me one more
1: time. Mission.